All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Mikey, Lions beat writer for MLive, joined as always by Ben Raven. Uh, got a, a mailbag on tap lines here today. We're laughing because I already screwed that up twice. <laughs> uh, got a mailbag on tap for you today. But Ben, before we dive into that, um, <laughs> lines are, are seven and two, and it's really interesting to think about the two games they have coming up here in the next what, like five, six days, or whatever it is at the time of this recording. Um, you know, the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, two bottom dwellers in the NFC North. I mean, I like for this team, right? Those are should wins. You could be nine and two heading into the back half of the the back the back stretch of the season. That's yeah. These are two very important games because they are two very winnable games against teams that the Lions they've already handled the Packers in a tough situation on the road under the lights at Lambeau Field. Almost blew them freaking back to relegation zones in that first half there. And I mean, they no matter how better the Bears are, no matter if Justin Fields is back under the center, this is a chance to. Man, yeah, this is a chance to put their foot on the throat of that cute story going down in Minnesota right now. I mean, honestly, nine and two after these two games, they don't face an above 500 team until those Vikings on Christmas Eve. So, I mean, this is a real opportunity and they should beat these teams. It is a cute story up in Minneapolis. <laughs> I mean, I think we all suspect, like, we know what happens when a quarterback goes down in this league. It's why the Lions ponied up for Teddy Bridgewater because right. they went like 10 years without winning a game. With a backup quarterback. That's a true story. <laughs> That's wild. And they so. lose they lose Kirk Cousins up in Minnesota and they're what they're they're two and oh now, right? And yeah. Dobbs is playing real well. Having said that, you know, the NFL is a game of film and it's amazing to see what happens once the film is down, how quickly yeah. opponents can catch up to you. And I do suspect, I mean, there's a reason Josh Dobbs has bounced around the league, and I suspect that we're going to see a return to earth at some point. And with the way the lines are going, I just think that at some point we're going to see some distance put between the lines and the, and the Vikings and with the opponents, the lines having coming up the next couple of weeks, I really think this is an opportunity for them to really seize control of the North going into a, a stretch of really winnable football games against some, some bad teams. And then, like you said, they have those games against Minnesota two and three weeks down the yeah. stretch. But I think that I really think if the Lions can take care of business, shore up some of their, their issues on defense, I really think they can put this division on ice before those games even matter. And that would be so huge. And I mean, I do, I will give Josh Dobbs his credit. He started a ton of games in Arizona this year. He's played very well in Minnesota. Yeah. He's a dual yeah. threat quarterback. So many people forget he was on the practice squad in Detroit last year. For about what? 48 hours is felt like? Yeah, and then he got picked up and started a must-win game for the Tennessee Titans. So, I mean, he's an experienced, he's a smart guy, it's a great story, but, like, Lions are better than that Vikings team. They're, they're better without that. They're better than that team when Kirk Cousins was under center. So it's it's absolutely an opportunity to, like, people are talking about resting starters potentially in Week 18. Winning these two games in front of you, taking care of the games you're supposed to, that's how you get to that point. I mean, honestly... Man, what a what a fascinating! I, I'm I'm blown away that the Vikings are six and four. That that blows me away. So hats off to them. They've done that without Kirk Cousins. They've done that without Justin Jefferson. But this is Detroit's division, and these two games and oh my god, six days. It's going to be a wild <laughs> ride. We're a little froggy today, even too. But like it's it, these are crucial, crucial games. And then yeah, you're looking pulling up the schedule right now. It literally goes Bears, Packers, Saints, Bears, and then Broncos, which have played better <laughs> in the past couple of weeks, but. Yeah, some winnable football coming up, and it's, I mean, listen, like, it's the NFL, like, there's going to be a letdown. I wouldn't be surprised if they saw, if they lost a game in there someplace, but when you compare it to what 
Minnesota has to face, when you compare it to what Philadelphia has to face, I mean, bring yeah. that up. It's you know, it's yeah. like the Chiefs, the Cowboys. Um, I don't even know. It's five straight winning teams, though, and it's not easy. And it's going to be a really difficult stretch. And I think this, like, like let's forget about the the division for a second. I think we all expect the Lions to win the North. They're going to make the playoffs. It's a matter of of seeding for them. And I think you know they're holding the number two seed right now, and they have something like a. 10, 15% chance, uh, according to the New York Times playoff model of the Lions securing the number one seed. And if they're going to do it, right now is the time to do it because the Eagles, uh, you just pulled it up. Yeah. Chiefs, (laughs) Bills, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks. Yeah. Good luck with that, guys. Um, So this is the time for the Lions to make their move and climb up the standings. And it'll be interesting. I mean, it starts with a really bad Bears team. And I've had to listen all week to the Lions. Talk about how talented this team, is. this Bears team is. Yes, they have some talent. Justin Fields is very talented. There's a big difference between having some talented players and being a talented team. And the Bears have three wins for a reason. They've been in the you know the cellar for a number of years now for a reason. Um, it's a bad team, and the Lions are a good team. They're coming back home after a couple games abroad, and um, you know it's time to take care of business, Ben. No doubt. I mean, I. I... I do respect what they're saying against Chicago's defense, but you got to consider the way teams are playing against the Bears this year, too. They do have the top-ranked rush defense, allowing 3.2 yards per carry on the ground. They added Montez Sweat, who has 10 pressures in his first two games. So, like, what they're being really nice about publicly facing is talking about this Bears team. It's a better Bears team. They've got more talent on both sides of the ball, but this is still a team that the Lions should absolutely cruise to the finish line against without question for sure with or without fields in there yeah just just ask david montgomery yeah david montgomery spent four years in chicago he's played really well since coming to detroit and so um with the bears game on tap this week surprise surprise when they opened the locker room doors for the first time during the practice week a couple of us went over to david montgomery to get his feel on playing his old team i I found it really interesting, Ben. You know, he, he said a lot of interesting stuff too about why he signed here and how, you know, how thrilled he is to be playing with this offensive line yeah. versus the one that he was and how easy they make his life. And you, know, you can look at the first snap, his for his first carry uh, against LA to to see that. I mean, the line of scrimmage was pushed three yards downfield before he even had the football. And so that's a big difference in, you know, what he was doing in Chicago. And we talked about all yeah. of this stuff, but one interesting question, and I forget um, who asked it, but basically David Montgomery was asked, how did you view the Lions when you were in Chicago? And I thought that was a very interesting question. And I thought David Montgomery gave a very honest yeah. reply, which was, you know, it was a stack game. <laughs> it's what he said of the Lions. Like his first couple of years, it was a stack game. And last year, <laughs> he felt a change playing Detroit in the in the first meeting. He's like, oh, damn, like those guys are for might be for real. And then they played again in the second meeting. The Lions won again. And he's like, okay, yeah, that like what they have going on is for real. And of course, when Montgomery had free agency, he got offers from across the league, including from Chicago to come back, including from Minnesota. <laughs> and Montgomery chose the Lions. And yeah. I think playing behind one of the best offensive lines had a lot to do with it. But winning football games after playing in Chicago had a lot to do with it. And I think that, you know, this Lions team is it, it's the team for the moment, right? Like th- yeah. they are um it would it would shock me if if they didn't win this 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 division just with how well they're playing and really some of the struggles i've seen 
you know, across the league, across the across the division. Yeah. So Lions fans have Aiden Hutchinson's German suplex across the field at Soldier Field to thank for bringing <laughs> David Montgomery here. <laughs> so no, that, he was really great, and I appreciate it. He cracked me up in the locker room in Los Angeles on Sunday. Like somebody started asking about Chicago, and he shut it down. He's like, "There will be time for that on Wednesday." <laughs> so very introspective man. He's been a great addition to the team and the locker room. Let's dive into the mailbag. Got some good questions this week. Um, as always, you can fire off those questions to our Insider Text program. For more information on how to sign up for the Insider program, click on any line story on MLive. Scroll to the bottom of the um, the story, and you'll see all the information you need, including uh, promotions for um, yeah, free trial. Um, so, Ben, let's kick it off. Uh, David, via the Insider Text program, wants to know, uh, it seems that Jameson Williams has been much better over the last couple of weeks. When do you think he will start getting more time and more route opportunity? I think we saw it. I think we saw it last week in Los Angeles. I think that's a very healthy, viable role for where Jamison is right now. And I think if he continues to play like he did last week and he continues to be in the right spot, make those plays downfield on blocking, that you will see him continue to get a little more chances. But I, I think he matched his career high in snaps once again. I mean, he had a touchdown nullified, but... Man, he caught both targets sent his way. It was the first game of the season. He didn't drop a pass. So, I mean, steps in the right direction. He got credit for being in the right spot, and he was. I mean, that screen pass he took to the house was a really impressive catch and run and read by him. And, I mean, you saw that explosion as he freaking torpedoed through the pylon. I was ex- I was impressed by just, you know, he was, he was you could tell he was where he was supposed to be. He didn't make those, like, brutal mistakes we've seen the last couple of weeks. Best grade of his career from Pro Football Focus. Like I said, didn't drop a pass. It's all about just stacking reliability, being in the right place, gaining trust. And I mean, he handled those short routes that people, including Herman Moore, have been kind of clamoring to see from him. And, you know, we kind of got a taste of it last week. The production isn't there, but I think uh, baby steps. And we're, hey, we're talking positively about JMO. So that's good. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's just, I think sometimes given who he is, Jamison Williams, and where he was drafted, yeah. both overall, and we've all talked, you know, to her blue in the face about what he is and what he could be and why he's not what he could be yet. And right. round and round we go and he's got the truthers um, <laughs> behind him and he's got people who hate him no matter what he does or says. Um, it's just, there's like, there's just so much, like there's just so much dialogue around this guy. And, and um, I think sometimes like we're just desperately looking for that sign of a turnaround and, Yes, I like first you gotta give him props. Like that touchdown he scored that didn't count because of a, a penalty away from the ball it had nothing to do with the play. Like Jamison Williams made that play happen, yeah. right? Like um it was explosively athletic mm-hmm. and and it's why the Lions drafted him is you know, there's one guy in that team or maybe two with Jameer Gibbs who can make that play, you know. I mean it was fairly well defended. He just outran everyone. Um and he blocked well, like he made the, yeah. the 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 big block on David Montgomery's seventy-five yard touchdown, and that was just a hustle play. He was like five, ten yards behind that play, ran his so way back impressive. into it. He made Dave, David Montgomery feel bad because like David Montgomery's hauling ass down the field, and then here comes JMO <laughs> running past him and delivering the, the the block on the last defender. I mean, it was a pretty funny play actually. <laughs> um. But I just pulled up the stats too, Ben. And it's like, like I also want to anchor this in some reality, which is that JMO is the 12th overall pick. He's uh, in the back half of year two. And I'm looking at it right now. 
two catches for two yards, two catches for 53 yards, zero catches, two catches for 16 yards, two catches for 18 yards. Uh, I mean, on the season, that's eight catches, 89 yards on 17 targets. And I think he's had almost as many drops as catches. Like, yeah, like he's had really explosive moments, like the touchdown that didn't count in LA, like the the long touchdown he had against Tampa. I mean, this kid can, can fly. Um, And there's something to work with there, but, I mean, back to the question: Like, are we are we seeing improvement from this guy? Are we seeing, are we going to see a breakout from this guy? Like, I think that we are seeing like increments of improvement, Ben. Mm-hmm. But like, are we seeing the kind of improvement you would expect from a guy of his ability that that he's going toward a breakout? I wouldn't be the guy sitting here saying right now that we're going to see a breakout, uh, like a Jamison Williams yeah. turning a corner in twenty twenty three. I mean, he hasn't caught more than two passes in a game. Like, he has what? I mean, 35 yards or whatever in the last two games combined. There's a bunch of drops in there. I'm not trying to beg, beg on the game. No, I, I just, got you. Like, my expectations are just high. Like, that's what you would expect from a guy you've taken where they've taken Jamison Williams. And because of the deep struggles and everything else with, with J-Mo, it's like people see him catch two passes for 18 yards um, and score a touchdown that didn't even count. And they think, oh, hey, like J-Mo is like coming back uh, or turning a corner. And I just, I'm, I'm not there yet with him. No, like I said. These were baby steps. Like, these were baby steps. He's staying in the role that he's been in, and he's kind of lucky to keep that. We'll see how it evolves when uh, DPJ gets out there for the first time because, I mean, I think he really does bring something worthwhile to this offense that is going to challenge a developing player like J-Mo for a winning team in this season. But like I said, baby steps. Hell no, he's not where he should be as the 12th overall pick with this much time with the playbook and being, what, five, six games into his return, five games into his return this season? No, it's not where it should be, but we banged on him, so I'm going to give him baby steps. So, you know, baby steps, baby steps, you know, it was baby steps. Well, the the um, what I like about JMO is that the um, desire to be good and mm. to help his teammates and to win as a team regardless of what he's doing on an individual level is definitely there. I mean, to see him again, haul ass down the field from 10 yards behind or so behind David Montgomery to bring himself back into that play. I mean, he's already blocked a guy near the line of scrimmage (laughs) and then he's hauling down the field to take out a second guy down the field um, in a game where he's got two catches for 18 yards, like, and only what, Two targets, yeah, in yeah. the whole game. And he's that involved in the blocking game. And he's done this before, by the way, mm-hmm. for David Montgomery on a touchdown run earlier in the in the season. I mean, it shows an unselfishness yeah. with J-Mo that even Dan Campbell talked about this week, that um, uh, Antoine randall had talked about this week. And I think those are good things. Like, he's clearly not a prima donna. He's clearly not yeah. pouting because of his targets or his role in the offense. Like, those things happen elsewhere. And that's not, not Jamison Williams. And that's... That's good stuff, but he's got a long way to go. And I think for as much as we talk about the drops with Jamison Williams, the number one thing I think he needs to work on to take the the jump that everyone's looking for with him is, is route definition. I mean, talk to anybody about the Ben Johnson offense. It, it's about timing. It's pr- a precision offense. It's not just, hey, you're running a slant. It's you're running a slant at this timing. You need to be uh, 17 yards downfield at this exact moment after the ball is snapped. And he was actually uh, Antoine Randall was given Amon Ross St. Brown's and crap this week because Amon Ross St. Brown, who's an amazing receiver, yeah. had run like a 10 yard route at like eight yards or something like that. He's like, you got to keep him <laughs> honest sometimes. And I was thinking to myself when he said that, like, if they're thinking that about Amon Ross St. Brown running a route that's like maybe two yards off yeah. in the timing, 
what are they thinking about J-Mo, who, you know, his speed is his greatest strength, but like sometimes I think he's a little too fast for the play. Mm-hmm. And they've even talked about it with the blocking. Like he's not maybe where he's supposed to be because he's he's just too fast. He's not patient enough, like something like that, you know. Um, and I think we obviously see that with the route tree too. And he's just not always where Jerry Goff expects him to be. And it makes it very hard to involve J-Mo in the offense. Yeah. Um, and it's a big thing for him to work on. Absolutely. And when he's in the right spot at the right time, guess what? Catching the ball comes easier. So great yep. point to bring up there for sure. Let's move along. Um, so Ryan Comic wants to know um, about the offensive line. By several different metrics and analytics, we have the best offensive line uh, in the in the NFL. Fact check, that's, that's true. Um, <laughs> it is the heartbeat of the team and represents everything we are about which we showed last week in LA with our, our best five out there. Uh, one concerning thing for me is the health of Jonah Jackson, especially in a contract year. He showed up again this week with a new injury. And I am wondering how much of his inability to stay healthy the last couple of years will play a factor with potentially re-signing him this off season or letting him walk. Ben, your take on Jonah Jackson, uh, his contract situation and, and um, his health. You know, Jonah Jackson has a, pretty solid reputation as being a durable guy. I mean, stuff happens in the NFL. I know it happened last year. I know it's happened this year with a couple different things, but I don't think anybody's freaking out about his durability. I think they just understand that these things happen. When a 350-pound guy falls on your ankle, guess what? It's going to get hurt. (laughs) So, I mean, that just kind of happens. I don't think they're worried about his durability, and I think, uh, man, they want that guy around here. Like, Jonah is like, I mean, he's he's not the Panay Sewell, he's not the Frank Ragnow, he's not Taylor Decker, but, like, he's one of the heartbeats of that offensive line. And, God, it's hard to – I mean, he's one of the best talkers in that locker room, too, when you really get talking to him. And I just think that his ability in the run game and his continued growth in the pass game, because while he didn't have his best game in L.A. last week, guess who was out in front pulling the way, leading the way for both of those Jameer Gibbs touchdowns? It was Jonah Jackson. So I, I, I think – I have a hard time imagining a world where he's not here. I know they have some tough contract situations coming up, obviously. Goff, St. Brown, Sewell, fill in the blanks. But, like, man, I I, I think Jonah will be here. It'll be it'll be interesting. And we're kind of getting into uh, another question from Mario Caracas just about the Panay Sewell um, mm. uh, contract. Mm. So maybe we can – I don't even see that one. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe we can, um, I think they go hand-in-hand hand yeah. to, to, your, to your point. I, like, I'm with you. Like, Jonah Jackson – is such a great fit for the Ben Johnson offense. This offense, um, while they can air it out, and that's a big, like, I mean, that's probably the thing they do the best. Um, they want to be able to run the football very effectively and not just run the football like most teams, but they want to do it in a variety of schemes, yeah. a variety of looks. Well, you need athletic guards to pull that off. And I think that's what makes Jonah Jackson uh, really unique. I mean, he's he's good in, in pass pro. I wouldn't say he's unique in pass pro as a mm-hmm. top shelf guard. I think what makes him stand out is his athleticism when he's pulling yeah. at the second level. I mean, he is just really, really good. And that 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 turns a lot of runs that might be three, four, five yards into 15-yard chunks or whatever, you know. Um, yes, I, I think they definitely want him back. But there is a financial reality yes, to this game. And, and the Lions haven't been on as they trend up and they keep – I mean, I think they still have every draft pick on the roster or somewhere in the building. Uh, as you continue to accumulate this talent and this um, rebuild pro- progresses, I mean, your, your talent's going up. Um, eventually, you have to resign these guys. And you reach a point where you start letting guys go. Uh, and drafting new guys because there's a financial reality to the to you know a salary cap league. And listen, 
they might have to pay Jared Goff as soon as next year. Yeah. And that's that, that's got that's gonna take forty-five million dollars or something. Amon Ross St. Brown uh is gonna get a monster contract and it's almost certainly gonna happen next year. I mean he 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 is what these guys are about. And next year is his contract year. I I think for every reason they have to re-sign Amon Ross St. Brown next offseason just to lock him up. Absolutely. But also like to set a tone that like the, the, this is the culture. This is the kind of thing that we're building around. And if you're this thing, we're gonna we're gonna invest in you. Uh, and I think that's gonna happen next year. That's gonna be costly. He's gonna make a billion dollars, um, <laughs> give or take. Thanks, Christian Kirk. <laughs> yeah. And then coming down the pipe, Ben, like, let's not forget about Panay Sewell, who oh, just gosh. like Amon Ross St. Brown is a foundational piece. And they have an extra year if they want to, like, consider the, the, the Panay Sewell deal because um, they have the fifth-year option because yeah. he was a first-round pick. But, you know, they with Frank Ragnow, if you remember, when he's, when he's uh, going, he was two years off of his contract year when – they extended him. Panay Sewell is entering that kind of situation next offseason. And again, like you can wait until 2025 to do the Panay Sewell thing if you really want to. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to get something done next year. That dude, by the way, I mean, right now, top end money for a right tackle is $20.2 million per year from Lane Johnson. Yeah. I mean, that's like Panay Sewell is going to set that bar whenever that happens. So next offseason or the one after that. 20 million per year for your right tackle. You're already paying 15 million for your left tackle. You got to pay Amon Ra. You got to pay Jared. Mm-hmm. Can you pay Jonah Jackson? Like, so, yes, I'm with you, man. He fits what they want to do offensively, but does he fit what they can do financially? That's where it's TBD. Exactly. And it's hard to put like a price range on someone like Jonah because you got that great graphic right there or note right there laying at 20.2 million a year. He got that contract at like age 34. Panay Sewell's 23 years old. Yeah. He turned 23 last month or late at September. So, like, yeah, he's going to set that bar there, especially since he's proven that he can seamlessly flip between the left and the right side and that he is such a foundational. I mean, when you think of the Detroit Lions, I would hope you think of Panay Sewell and Amon Ross St. Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the two pieces to me. Like, I remember a conversation I had with Nick Baumgartner of The Athletic, uh, former M Liver during training camp, and it was like... Shout out, Nick. Yeah, shout out, Nick. What's former, up, Nick? Former beat Nate. Beat yeah, Nate he was in the house <laughs> we yesterday. We covered Michigan together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we just looked, and it was like, the three guys. It's Amon Ross St. Brown, it's Panay Sewell, and it's Aiden Hutchinson. As long as you have three guys, you feel very good about this team. So I just think it's a tough conversation because, as we just laid out, Jonah... He understands this intricate offense. He's great in the run block. He helps them have this like Shanahan-esque multiple run tree because he is so good at pulling. He's so good at the short yardage. He's he, he's a great fit for that. But if Panay's getting $25 million a year, Jared's getting $45 million a year, <laughs> St. Brown's going to be around $100 million total on that contract. It, it, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. I think it's a it, it's there's a big difference between want and can, and it is – I mean, I think you do see them drafting offensive linemen. I mean, Colby, yeah. I mean, there's a reason they drafted Colby Soresdale and worked him at guard this offseason because they're thinking about their future. That doesn't mean they don't want Jonah in that spot, yeah. but it's just it's the harsh reality of what we're talking about. And then you have Graham Glasgow, who's playing at a high yes. level, but contract year. And then you have Vitae, who is mm. back on IR. I think his, I think you've already seen him play his yeah. last town in, in Detroit. Um, because he's in a contract here. Um, and then you throw in the Jonah Jackson situation, like maybe they get something done. I know that there were some preliminary kind of feelers that were put out there from both sides, um, last off season, but the contract talks went nowhere. So he's in a contract here. So to your point about 
the draft, yeah, I think interior offensive linemen is probably going to be very high on their wish list because clearly the offensive line kind of makes this whole offense go. Uh, and there's some like long-term issues going on right now with their depth right. on the interior. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since they franchise tagged somebody. I would mm. wonder what that would be for a guard. I don't have it. It would probably be in the 10 to 15 million range, I think it would be. But, you know, that's another thing. I mean, if if you're trying to keep that group together, you kind of just like, I don't know. I, I mean, you don't want to insult somebody either, especially somebody that's been as good as Jonah Jackson has been for the team. I mean, that's something you need to be upfront about. So it's just like... There are options here. Oh, great work. Yeah. Well, they just, I guess uh, I didn't know this, but for the franchise tag, but they don't differentiate between tackle and guard and center. So just the offensive line franchise tag is 18 million, which they'll never pay for. Nope. They will not do that. Never mind. Hey, glad we looked that up, though. They can research team, which is my Google. <laughs> it's whoever isn't talking on Google. <laughs> Big, big, big budget here. All right, let's let's roll on, shall we? Um, so we just mentioned Aiden Hutchinson a moment ago, so I think that's a nice segue mm-hmm. into Raymond Nesnoff's question, which is, at what point do we start to expect more from Aiden Hutchinson? He has 26 tackles, four and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and an interception on the year so far. We can't keep giving him excuses because of the holding penalties that aren't getting called. First of all, I, personal pet peeve, I guess so annoyed at like the oh holding oh, wasn't God, called yeah. here, but like <laughs> it we get replay we have replays of everything in the game nowadays. Like you're you're you can find a missed penalty on every other play. That that's like loser's mentality. I'm yeah. I'm sorry, but like I just don't subscribe to like oh Aiden got held on held on this play, so he's getting screwed. The Lions got screwed. I mean, if that's the bar, then everyone's getting screwed every week. Exactly. But there's still 16 winners, and it's the teams that have better talent. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I hear you. A wholly different direction. That's not even what this is about. So I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> Basically, it's a loser's lament, and the lines are winners now because they have good talent. And so the the calls that went yeah. against them before and like no, blew games you. for them, they don't blow games to them anymore because their talent is better. It's the same same shit we've been saying for forever. But um, get better, and you won't get screwed. And that's exactly what's happened for the Lions. Um, but more to the point of the question. Um, so what do you think of, of Aiden's play? I just want to add some more numbers to get yeah. a full contextual picture because, yes, he only has four and a half sacks. That's way off what some of the league leaders have these days. But he's also hit the quarterback 10 times, which is fifth most in the league among edge rushers. And he has 52 pressures, which is third behind <laughs> only Max Crosby and Micah Parsons. Max Crosby and Micah Parsons are pretty good, and so is Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, of course, the Lions want him to get home to the quarterback more often. Some of his inconsistencies and then having absolutely no help behind him have led to the inconsistencies we've seen in the Lions' pass rush. There's been like, what, three games where they went berserk on somebody, but then in every other game this year, it's been one sack or none at all. And it's not enough, and that's a big reason they brought in Bruce Irvin. Mm -hmm. Um, Ben, your thoughts on, on just the state of the pass rush and specifically Aiden Hutchinson? Aiden Hutchinson is playing like one of the best edge defenders in football. And listen, I know it gets lost in sacks. It's been really easy to key in on Aiden Hutchinson for opposing teams because they haven't had to worry about much else, like you've said. And he's still, like you said, 52 pressures. He's the seventh ranked edge defender in football per pro pro per pro football focus. One of only seven players at his position with a plus 90 grade. That is elite territory if you end the year there. 
He's one of the workhorses in the game, trailing only Max Crosby and snaps at that position. And I mean, the names in front of him are Parsons, Lawrence, Watt, Crosby, Garrett, and Bosa. I mean, he's in that discussion. He's he's getting doubled a lot. He's still a good asset against the run, but like you can't blame Aiden for the lack of a pass rush because Aiden is the pass rush. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's well put, Ben. You yeah. know, I mean, if, like, <laughs> he's been really good. The problem is they've had nothing yeah. besides him. And so when Aiden is going the line, the, the pass rush is fine. But like when he is not getting home, they're not getting home. I think every pass yeah. like edge rusher, not named Aiden Hutchinson in, in Detroit. So we're talking Romeo Aquara, Charles Harris, Julian Aquara. I mean, uh, John Kaminsky, Josh Pascal, those guys, all those guys, four and a half sacks combined. That's the problem with the Lions pass rush. It's not Aiden Hutchinson. And Aiden, by the way, is seeing just a ton of uh, doubles and Mm -hmm. so on because of, I mean, he's the only thing going in the pass rush. I'll take care of Aiden Hutchinson and they'll take care of the Lions pass rush. This is a big reason why they brought in uh, Bruce Irvin this week and not necessarily a huge name, but he has a lot of really good years out in Seattle. I think he's like a 12th year veteran, yeah. 55 and a half career sacks. Um, you know, he's 36 years old then. So he's not, you know, he doesn't have the juice of, I mean, he's not going to change the d- total dynamics in the Lions pass rush, but I am, I think he kind of replaces James Houston as like the speed rusher in the attack. They don't really have that right now. And clearly, I mean, they're just, they're just like looking yeah. for answers and, you and I had said at the trade deadline, like yeah. I understand why they're not why you know why they're standing pat at edge rusher because the price tag can be very expensive and all that kind of stuff, but they might rue the, their decision to to stand pat in a year like this where there's a lot to play for. And yeah. here we are, they're signing Bruce Servant to a pass rush that did not sack Justin Herbert. <laughs> I know, and it's uh when you see Chase Young get traded across the league for a third round pick, you kind of scratch your chin at that and like, yeah. man, that would have looked pretty good right here. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what Brad says about that after the season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jalen Carter would look pretty good, too. All right. Anyway, moving on. Kim, Kim Mann wants to know, have you heard any word on James Houston mm. and if he's coming back? So, we, you know, we had just um, brought him up. I, I think that the last we heard was uh, December is still on the table, mm-hmm. though, if it happens late December. That, to me, doesn't sound very optimistic. I wouldn't really, like – be sitting at home, like watching my calendar with, you know, like late December circled for to see James Houston play football, but they haven't closed the door, which is a positive development. I do see his car yes, <laughs> in yeah. the Allen Park facility. So uh, it's, it's hard to miss. It's a beautiful, beautiful machine. <laughs> um, um, Electric, by the way. Did you know that? His, oh, I did. Course. Yeah. Yeah, it's an electric oh, course. That's yeah. sweet. It's yeah. a sweet car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Six round pick, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is what I thought. Sure hope, I sure hope he gets that second contract. Um, no, but uh, uh, clearly, so the, yeah. the, the, the hope is still there and they could really use them because, like, the pass rush, like, I mean, Aiden is um, playing really well. Like, is he, like, in that really, like, uh, TJ Watt, Max Crosby elite crust? I would put him below that personally, mm-hmm. but he's just below that. He's produ- he, he's doing everything you could ever possibly want out of a pass rusher, and he's doing it while drawing so much attention from the defense. It's hard to knock that. Like I'm not. No. This question sounds like that's true. It's like the, the previous questioner it sounded like they were knocking Aiden Hutchinson mm-hmm. um, for not doing enough, and Man. he's half the pass rush. That <laughs> one guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to your point, I would put Aiden Hutchinson in the same category of where I put Justin Herbert in the co- quarterback conversation, that next guy list. And I mean, like I said, yeah. he yeah. is the pass rush. And I mean, that is why 
people are wondering about James Houston because whatever James Houston is, is tough to block. And that would make Aiden Hutchinson's life a little easier because when you got a skipping athletic electric freak like that on the other side, it makes life much easier. But yeah, I mean, the only optimism Campbell expressed was that it was a clean break and that he's kind of on schedule with everything. So yeah, don't hold your breath, but that window is cracked. We're running short on time. We're going to have to run to the locker room here in a second. Yeah. But I, I, we do have some questions about the defense, obviously. And, <laughs> you know, from that, I mean, right. that was terrible. <laughs> that was Like, that game was so exciting in L.A. And it was so interesting. And so many things happened. There were so many fourth down conversions and, like, really good football <laughs> being played on offense. Mm-hmm. And the Chargers, I mean, shit, like, their defense was terrible in that game. Um, and... Uh, the same thing. For, I mean, we're getting notes right now. The locker room's opening, but let's just do one quick yep. question on the Lions defense because obviously it was really bad. Um, John A wants to know: Is the D going to show up against <laughs> the Bears this Sunday, or will it be another track meet? Ben, I guess, do you expect a bounce back game from Aaron Glenn's defense, or do you think that maybe there's something more fundamental wrong with what's happening on that side of the ball? You know, against an offensive line like this, against a quarterback coming back from a dislocated thumb injury for the first time in a month, against I mean, hey, DJ Moore's made that receiver group better, but like, come on, this this is this is like a game I'm looking at where the pressure should get home. You know, this is a guy you know well. This is a team you beat by 31 freaking points the last time you played them, and you're much better. While they're better, you're much better than where you were at this point last season. So there are problems that need to be talked about if they struggle in this game, you know? But I, I do think that this is a get-back-on-track type game. They should be able to crash those offensive tackles and make life really hard for Justin Fields in that kind of new-look rushing attack. You would hope to see that, Ben. The thing that is haunting my mind a little bit is the Lions have really struggled against mobile quarterbacks mm-hmm. under Aaron Glenn. That's one of the like the common threads, I would say, throughout their their struggles on defense. Um uh, we, and we saw it this year against Lamar Jackson. We saw it to a degree with Gino moving around. Yeah. Gino's not even that athletic, but he was moving around pretty good. Uh, and Justin Fields, while he's not the same kind of passer as Lamar Jackson and certainly not Gino, uh, he moves better than all of them. And I'm, I have concerns about their ability to contain him in the pocket, uh, their ability to contain him in the open field. I mean, like guys like him have done numbers on, on Detroit before. And, um, Justin Fields almost stole a game in Chicago last year, you know? Yes, so. Two seventy-nine um, in two games. Does <laughs> off. You really know how to piss in someone's cheerios, don't you? Um can Aaron Glenn find answers? Yeah. And that is a question that that remains open-ended. I mean, like we have seen major progress in the defense this year, but we have not seen it against the best quarterbacks they've faced, and we have not seen it against mobile quarterbacks. Yes, they have padded. They're they're a top 10 defense, but so much of what they've done have been against the worst offenses on their schedule. Tampa Bay, uh, Carolina with with Bryce Young, a rookie quarterback. I mean, you know, Jordan Love, like uh, they've padded those numbers. They've looked really good. They've had some great defensive performances. But when they've played the good teams on their schedule um, and the good offenses and the good quarterbacks, they have struggled. And the Bears are not a good team. And their offense is eh. Mm-hmm. So, but Justin Fields is a very unique talent back there. And they have to have, find some answers. And they just they haven't been able to do it under Aaron Glenn. That's, that, for me, Ben, is my biggest concern going into this game. It is. And I'm curious, just because before the injury, Fields was not running that much before the injury. So I'm really curious to see if they let Justin Fields be Justin Fields coming out of the break. Because if he tries to sit in that pocket and pass against this defense without 
trusting what he can do that nobody else in this league can do at that size and speed, then they're going to blow this bear steam out of the water. But yeah, I mean, he's going to get his on the ground just because that is who he is. 10.8 seconds. That final play yeah. last year. Yeah. The man. great call by Dan Miller. Yeah the, yeah. the great Dan Miller. But yeah, I mean, just, man, this is a, this is what we've, we keep saying it. The, the good teams need to take care of business in these games. And I mean, you just cannot, if this team is struggling to go toe to toe with the bears in the fourth quarter, it's going to be like, come on, yeah. there's got to be some adjustments on this defense because there's going to be better quarterbacks and receiver combos and offensive lines waiting for you in the playoffs than Justin Fields and DJ Moore. Absolutely. Okay. We have to literally run to the locker yes, room now. <laughs> uh, it's been great though, catching up and, um, uh, will be interesting to see the Lions defense try to bounce back on Sunday against the Chicago Bears and the Lions looking to move to eight and two heading into Thanksgiving. Uh, ben, we're watching some meaningful football in the Thanksgiving era of the season. It's been a long time. <laughs> First time in my five seasons, they have been above 500 at the Thanksgiving mark. So there you go. Detroit Lions football, baby. <laughs> Thanks wow. to everybody for the subtext mailbags question. Join Dungeon of Doom subtext. That's in every one of our stories. Hit one of us up if you can't find it. Two-week free trial, $4.99 a month. Thanks, guys.